uh, that was Michael Ball. The song was Love Changes Everything. Do you remember where that comes from? That's Andrew Lloyd Webber, Phantom of the Opera. Yes. I'm just going to read you some of the lyrics there. Love changes everything, how you live and how you die. Let me just read you the last verse here. Off into the world we go, planning futures, shaping years. Love bursts in and suddenly all our wisdom disappears. Love makes fools of everyone. All the rules we make are broken. Love Love changes everyone. Live or perish in its flame. Love will never, never let you be the same. Now, some 38 years ago, I was in a church gathering much like this in London. And uh, after the worship, the, the guy on the keyboard started to play the music for this. Of course, it was all brand new then. <laughs> it's only just out. And... Um, Everybody was like, oh, what's going on, what's going on? And then up from one side, my friend Howard stands up and he starts to sing this, just, you know, solo. And he has a good voice. And so he's singing this song and singing these lyrics. And we're like, what's going on? And then he comes over to this side and he comes to Sarah. And he takes Sarah. He's still singing the song. He takes Sarah up to the front and he's down on one knee. And he's got a little box and a ring. And he asks her to marry him, you know, in front of the whole congregation. And she says yes. And so, of course, we're all on our feet cheering and hugging one another and crying. And, and I'm glad to report that they are living happily ever after um, in, um, in Cheltenham, in Gloucester, in fact, with um, a couple of children grown up, left home. I'm sure they've got grandchildren by now. So for me, that song I always associate with that. And I would say it's probably the most romantic Thing I've um, witnessed, really, um, certainly in terms of a proposal. So, what's all this got to do with the Bible? We better get the Bible, don't we, really? Um, so we are beginning now, across the, the, the three congregations now, we're beginning a, a little series on the gifts of the Holy Spirit from Galatians, hence Galatians. So Galatians 5.22, gifts of the Holy Spirit now. I'm sure you all learned this in Sunday school. Let's just see what we can remember. Eh? There are nine gifts of the Spirit. The first one is love. And then see if you can say the rest with me. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So we're going to do a mini-series on those gifts, and we'll be weaving that in. We're still doing Mark. Um, but we're just going to kind of weave that in as well as we go. And the first, of course, of those gifts is love. And I would say, without hesitation, that is also the greatest. And in many ways, it encompasses all of those other fruits. All of those other fruits are mixed in with that first fruit of love. Now, the Greeks are a little bit more sophisticated than us with their language. There are about eight different words in Greek that just get translated as love into English. There are different types of love. We've just been talking about romantic love. There's sexual love, eros, where we get our word erotic from. And erogenous, we've got... So there's love between husband and wife. There's love between parent and child. There's love between brothers in a fraternity. 
There's love between sisters in a sorority. There's friendship, filial love. There's even love between, you know, a man and his dog. You know, a person and their pet can love your goldfish. But the type of love we are talking about today um, is the love of God. The love of God. And the Greek word there is, um, well, I'd like to say agape. That's what I like to say. So you could say agape. It's A-G-A-P-E. Agape sounds a bit, I don't know. Agape sounds like a little bit more flair to it, isn't it? So agape, if you like. So there we go. So all the other loves, of course, are real and, and genuine and heartfelt and, you know, to be welcomed and encouraged, but they are all really echoes and shadows of the first and greatest love, which is this agape. This is the love of God. It all begins with him. All love begins with God. There is love in that trinity. They love one another in that trinity, love between them. And the love that we find in creation around us and the love that we find in our own hearts is all because it comes with him and it's you know out because we're made in his in his image we know love and indeed it's one of the most celebrated aspects i think of of humanity but we've got it because we're made in his image and i want to say to you, you know if fallen man can love even without knowing god then how much more can we who are reconciled with him and have his spirit dwelling within us, how much more should we exhibit and live in that love? Let me, um, let me try and give you some definitions here. Love, love is selflessness. All right? It's self-denying. It's putting the needs of others... First, it's making sure that others are happy before securing your own happiness. In fact, it's, 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 being, it's not being able to be happy unless they are happy. It's not being able to be satisfied unless they're satisfied. Love puts others before you every time. Love gives. Love gives. And it gives of itself and it gives of itself even to its own cost and even to its own hurt. Love gives. And it's the very opposite of sin. Useful bit of English. Sin, S-I-N, I is in the middle. Sin puts I in the middle. Love, there's no I in love. Handy that. <laughs> but sin places I at the center. Sin acts for its own self. Sin will act for its own advantage, even to the detriment of others. Sin takes. It doesn't give. It takes. And it will take at the cost of others, even at the cost of their own hurt and their own harm. In fact, ultimately, ultimately, sin, that self-centeredness, that selfishness, that self first, that I in the middle, sin ultimately expresses itself in murder, in taking life. Sin will take life. 
Whereas love ultimately expresses itself in giving life. Love will give its own life in order to preserve another. So, um, you know, literally putting yourself in harm's way to protect another. And, you know, what parent here doesn't put themselves in harm's way to protect their children? Or what husband or wife would not say, I'll lay down my life so that you can live? That's what love does. And we've got it there in the scriptures. So John 15, 13, greater love has no man than this, that a man will lay down his life for his friend. Something that um, you see written on a lot of military uh, gravestones. Greater love has no man than this. The man will lay down his life for his friend. John 3.16, really, really famous. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Love is the motivation. Love is his motivation. Love is always his motivation. So if you're ever wondering, well, what is God doing in my life? What's going on? Why is this happening? Why isn't that happening? The answer is love. God's motivation is love. He's not trying to bamboozle you or get something over you or trip you up. Or tri- it's love every time. His motive is love. And we need to trust that and rely on that. Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. Whilst we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrates his love for the whole world to the whole world in the crucifixion of Jesus. He gave his son for us. Christ died for us. That's a message we've got to get out there. And while we were yet sinners indicates that, you know, whilst there was no measure of us deserving it, I mean, I don't know, to me, we could never, ever deserve that anyway. But while we were yet sinners, we weren't even, not even thinking of these things, not even asking. And yet, God has demonstrated his love. Now, in Galatians 5, I want to just kind of root this passage here about the uh, fruits of the Spirit in the context that they're, they're in. Paul is contrasting the works of the flesh, the sinful, self-centered nature, with the fruit of the Spirit. And he points out that all law whether we're thinking about you know, criminal law or civil law or, or moral law, all law is set to restrain the works of the flesh. It's all orientated that way. There are no laws in place, and nor could we conceive of laws in place, to restrict or constrain the fruit of the Spirit. Who wants to pass a law? How could you pass a law that says, you know, about kindness? What would you, what would you say, you know? It's, you can be kind and it doesn't, it doesn't touch the law of God, does it? And what, what, what Paul is saying here is if we are walking in the Spirit and the fruits of the Spirit are growing in us and the love of God is growing in us, we're, we're not going to go anywhere near breaking any kind of 
laws, be they, be they you know, we're not going to have to worry about that. If you think about all of Judaism and that Mosaic law and all of that that's structured there and how the, the scribes and the Pharisees are really concerned about being right before God by obeying the law. And he's saying, if you walk in the spirit, if you walk in love, you don't have to worry about any of that. And in fact, he says that if in love you serve one another, you will fulfill the law. You will fulfill the law of God. And of course, we see that we haven't got there yet in Mark. But in Mark chapter 12, there's a dialogue between Jesus and the scribe. And one of the scribes comes up to Jesus and says, you know, Rabbi, which is the greatest commandment? And what does he say? He says, the greatest commandment is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And he says, the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. These are the greatest commandments. He says, there's no other commandments greater than these. And the scribe says, you know, yeah, you know, that's absolutely right. You know, to love God is greater than all sacrifices and, and, and offerings. And Jesus says to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. So Jesus says that, you know, fulfilling the law. So I'm just, you know, that's the context there in Galatians 5. Love and the law. And in John 13, 34 to 35, and he repeats it again just for good measure, really. In John 15, 17, Jesus, the greater Moses, the one who is superseding Moses. Jesus steps forward and says, a new commandment I give to you. A new commandment I give to you. Love one another. <laughs> That's the commandment. Love one another. Love one another. So, just, just think for a moment what a world it would be if we were just all, if we were just, if we just loved one another, you know, if people were just kind and patient and gracious and forbearing and gentle and self-controlled and thought and acted for the advantage of those around them first rather than for their own self, if there wasn't any selfishness, what a wonderful world it would be. Can you imagine that? Well, I want to tell you, you and me, we are all heirs of a world like that. Okay, We are all heirs of the kingdom of God. The Lord Jesus Christ is coming to establish exactly that kind of community, exactly that kind of world. Where all sin will be gone and we will be walking in the love of God all of the time. And here on earth right now, in his church. So you guys here. And in Fordingbridge and in Verwood. And, you know, and across the world really. The church is where that community can be seen. And that very passage where Jesus says. A new commandment I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you. He goes on and says. By this will everyone know. That you are my disciples. If you love one another. Us loving one another, the way that we care for one another, the way that we are kind to one another, the way that we talk to one another, the way that we behave, 
seeking one another's benefit first, loving one another, serving one another, that shines out as a bright, bright witness and testimony. And it's in terms of authenticity, it can't be faked. And people know that. There's no fake in it. It's genuine. It's real. It's love. Jesus, in fact, goes further and he says, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who persecute you. Why? Because then you will be called sons and daughters of your heavenly father. There's, um, you can just have such great fun uh, you know, in your, in your workplaces or whatever environments it is that you're in, you can have such great fun when you have colleagues that are unbelievers if you love them. <laughs> it's just bonkers because they can't help it, but they're going to be selfish towards you. They don't know any difference. It's in their nature. So they're going to try and seek advantage over you. They're going to try and get an opportunity to do you down. Maybe sometimes it's a bit more malicious than others. But, you know, you can have a wonderful game with them. You can have great fun by blessing them and by doing them good and just not taking up that rivalry and not returning anger for anger, not returning unkindness or selfishness for selfishness, but doing the opposite and trumping them. And, and it baffles people. And not only those people that, you know, kind of are against you, you're going back to, but those around that see what's going on, they're baffled as well. Why doesn't he react like the rest of us? Why isn't there all that cursing and swearing like the rest of us? Why isn't he angry like the rest of us, you know? Why does he come and say sorry? Nobody comes to say sorry. Why does he come and say sorry or thank you? Things like that. It's great fun, believe me, great fun. Right. We learn to love one another. Love is something which is learnt by example. It's, it's caught. It's catching. It's infectious. 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. It begins with our knowing the love of God. When we know that we are loved and we experience that, that frees us to love other people. That frees us for that love to overflow out of us. Back to that commandment. This is what I command you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. There's an example there, and Jesus is saying, my example of how I loved you, follow that example, love one another. Love is caught in Thessalonians. Paul writes to to them in Thessalonians, and he says, um, you know, I was a mother and a father to you, and, you know, I was an example to you in this, that, and the other. And then he commends them in 4, 1 Thessalonians 4.10, he commends them and says, you know, I don't need to write to you and tell you to love one another because you are loving one another, and it's a testimony to all the churches in Macedonia, but I will write to you and say, excel still more in this. We can always grow and improve in this we're talking about fruits fruits take time to grow they take time to mature and as the the tree gets better the fruit gets better as well so you know there's always room for improvement there's always room to grow in this um, but we imitate 
um, one another. We imitate one another in terms of, you know, so let's this be, let this be a community where we are serving one another, where we are honoring one another, where we are thanking one another, where we're talking to one another graciously, where we're kind, all of these fruits being exhibited. And, um, you know, that grows. We learn to behave in that way. And, you know, as new folk that are getting saved and coming in, we're going to have to give them time to grow those fruits, right? We're going to have to show them this is the way to be. This is the way to walk in love. This is the way to walk in step with the Spirit of God that's now within you. We're going to have to show them. They're going to learn from us how to do these things. As the Spirit of God inside of them is teaching and prompting and inspiring and then us outside are showing by example then they will grow and they will grow in these fruits and you know to love you've got to be love requires trust doesn't it you've got to trust people because when you love you put yourself at risk you make yourself vulnerable you want to be in an environment where you trust somebody else if you're loving them you've got to trust them and and that comes you know, that's got to be repeated. It takes a while for that trust to build up. There's got to be some reliability, some consistency about the way somebody behaves. And, you know, you begin to soften a little bit, don't you? You begin to realise, oh, it's okay, it's safe. That's the way it goes, isn't it? So let's ex- excel still more in these things. Um, I just want to say a bit about love and free will. Love and free will there... You know, they go together. Love goes with with trust. Love goes with faith. Love goes with free will. You can't make somebody love you. You You just can't demand it of them. You love them, and then their love has to be given back to you freely. If it's given back to you under compulsion, if it's given back to you because of fear, it's not love. If you're loving somebody with a lie, if you're putting a mask on, if you're trying to make yourself you know, what you think is more lovable to secure their love, that, that lie will just undermine everything. That lie will just you know, break everything. It breaks that trust. And so they're... they're if they're loving you, they won't be loving you. They'll be loving that image that you've got. And then when they discover that, you know, that's not you and you've lied to them, that love's gone. You can't make people love you. This is why, I don't want to say too much about this, but I did feel prompted to just say, you know, I want to make it really clear, you know, um, situations of domestic violence or that coercive behaviour where people are operating out of fear, fear of getting hit or fear of, you know, some other thing that's going on. Those environments where there's that kind of control, that's not love. And I want to make that really clear, that's not love. And, you know, where the scriptures say, let me just be really clear about this, you know, the scriptures say about wives submitting to husbands, I just want to be really, really clear. You read that passage in Ephesians 5, the context is of a wife submitting to a husband who loves her as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. So yes, submit please to a husband who loves you and gives himself for you and puts you first, yes. But if that's not happening, 
then, you know, the scriptures do not obligate you to be submitted in that environment. And I don't want anybody tied up. You know, sometimes I think come across people that feel that that's what they must do. Their obligation to God is to continue in those environments. That's not true. And don't put anybody else, you know, don't say that to anybody else. Don't put them under that obligation. Um, You know, domestic violence, that kind of coercive control is a travesty. That's not love. So a fella comes to me and says, you know, my wife doesn't submit to me. My first question is, are you loving her like Christ loved the church and gave yourself for it? Tell me how that's going on. Usually that's what's missing. (laughs) Okay. Um, Yeah, so love does take that risk. We take that risk of rejection, don't we? We love somebody and sometimes it isn't repaid. (laughs) was in that situation in my youth. <laughs> Loved somebody and they weren't really that interested in me and it was a painful lesson to learn. But I want you to understand God takes that risk. He takes that risk with us. He demonstrates his love with all the world, doesn't he? He demonstrates that love. He pours out his love. It's, the Bible says that he, his loving kindness pursues us to repentance. That's how he's trying to win us over all the time. But there is a risk that that love is rejected. And what would happen then? What must happen then? If, you, if, 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 if he is the origin of all love, and his is the greatest, the first and the greatest love, and a person rejects that love, what then is left for them? What then is left for them? In this world, the love of God is still very much apparent, very much a part of what's going on. You might not feel like it, might not look like it, but believe me, it's there. And when the love of God is withdrawn, then there is no patience. Then there is no kindness. There is no gentleness. There is no... You know, there's just none of that at all. None of that is there. Imagine a world like that. And imagine a world like that where there is no hope of any change ever. So, you know, people who live a life where they're constantly denying the existence of God and constantly rejecting his love and constantly living selfishly, eye in the center, in the end, they're going to get the fruit of what they've lived for. And in the end... They're going to have a world where there's no God and there's no love and there's no hope of anything ever changing. Okay, I'm going to move on from that. So God is love. God has poured out his love in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. It's important to understand that, okay? I think that the natural person that is unsaved their their ability to appreciate the love of God is limited. It only goes so far. But when the Spirit of God inhabits us, when we are saved and we are filled with that Spirit of God, that fellowship of the Spirit is with us, then the love of God is poured out in our hearts. And we know and we recognize and we understand God loves us and the Spirit in us testifies to that and speaks to our hearts and reassures us and shines that love in us. That's how we know the love of God. 
We're going to, I'm going to just, you know, as we, I'm just going to say, you know, if you've got difficulty experiencing the love of God, you might believe it as a kind of factual thing, oh, that's part of the, the creed or whatever, you know, that's what I'm supposed to believe. But actually, you don't really feel it. I, I, I had quite a bit of difficulty. My, and, and it goes back, inevitably, it goes back to, you know, relationships. And I had some difficulty. My father, I think, um, he had his own difficulties anyway. Um, he wasn't a great one for showing love. Um, and he wasn't a great one for speaking it and saying it. Um, and I, my particular personality, I'm one who, I like to be told that, you know, if you... In terms of love languages, I need the words of affirmation. <laughs> so, you know, we didn't really connect on the same level. And, and, and I, I, I was aware that um, I received his approval when I did well and his disapproval when I didn't do well. And, it, and so obviously then when I became a Christian, you know, that reflected upon, that was, that was kind of there in terms of my relationship with my Heavenly Father. And so I looked for ways to do good things and receive his approval. And it takes a little while, you know, to train yourself, kind of undo that and begin to recognize that, you know, I'm secure in the love of my Heavenly Father, whether I do well or not. It doesn't depend upon those things. Obviously, I want to do well. Obviously, I want to serve him. I want, because I love him, I want to do well. But it's, but I love him because he first loved me. So the more that I understand he loves me the more that that is generated in me so it does take time and let's be honest I don't think any of us have a perfect upbringing we've all got you know stuff we need to unlearn and new stuff to learn so you know let's be open about those things and real about those things and let me say to you if you need help knowing and experiencing the love of God in your heart then help's available ask for it Let's, you know, let, let folk pray for you and persevere in those things. And, you know, you will move through into those things. Okay. Time is failing me, just like the writer of Hebrews. Time failed him. Time is going to fail me. I would just uh, commend to you, have a look at 1 John chapter 4. There's some great uh, discussion there about the love of God and how um, it's already summarized there. God is love. That's where those, that's in fact where that is in scripture. Uh, 1 John 4, God is love. God demonstrates um, his love in giving himself on the cross to redeem us. Have you ever thought about that? The, the ever living one, the source of life itself, the one who doesn't who is self-sustaining he needs nothing he sustains himself in life and what does he do he love takes him to the point of death the ever living one dies for you so that you can be redeemed and lifted out there's no higher price that can possibly be paid and it's paid because of love it's love that drives into the cross um okay that's that there's 1 Corinthians 13, the great wedding passage that people love to read. <laughs> love is patient, love is kind. Read that through and think, that's how God is to me. God is patient with me. Oh, thank God he's patient. God is patient with me. God is kind. He does not take into account a wrong suffered, you know, etc., etc. 
God never fails, it finishes, doesn't it? So I won't go through all that now. That's well known. But take that and read that and meditate on those things and think, that's the way God is towards me. And then think about, no, that's the way I can be towards others as well. Um, I want to finish with um, one final thought, really. A challenge. I find this very challenging. Right at the end of the book, the last book in the Bible, two chapters in, Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 1, we've got this magnificent vision of the Lord Jesus resurrected in glory. This is the head of the church, okay? He's the one who's bringing everything about. He's the one who's raising up different fellowships and working in them. He's the one who holds that, you know, we get that picture of him walking among the, the, the candlesticks, you know, the lampstanders. The can- Don't think about little things. Think about great big <laughs> candles. Um, he's walking amongst them. They're the churches. And, um, and he's, he writes to Ephesus. So this is the first letter that he writes. And Ephesus really is the church of these seven churches that he writes to. It's the one about which we know the most. The church has probably been going for about 50 years by the time this is written to them. And they're doing brilliantly, really. There's, there's great stuff in there. I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance. You can't tolerate evil men. You put them to the test, those who call apostles, and you find them to be false. Your perseverance and endurance for my name's sake and have not grown weary. Oh, you know, let's stop there. That's good. Like all of that. Thank you. Yes, yes, yes. Tick, tick, tick. But then he says, I have this against you. Just one thing, just one thing against them. I have this against you. You have lost your first love. And then he says, therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first or else I'm coming and will remove the lampstand around its place. You know, Jesus, amongst everything else, you know, there's, there's lots of good stuff. You know, we want to be right on our doctrine. We want to be good, you know, in terms of the way that we do things. We want to be excellent in terms of impacting the community around us. We want to be relevant. You know, all of that stuff is good. We want to have, you know, we want to have good presentation and be good with our marketing and you know all of that stuff we want to be good on all of those things we want to excel in all of those things we want to have great life groups for people to go to we want to have great prayer meetings we want to have great other stuff that's going on all of that's great and we can have all of that and we can be good at all of that but we do just we just we never want to get to a position where we're walking around patting ourselves on the back saying, aren't we good, aren't we good? And yet the Lord Jesus is saying, where's the love? You know, where's the love? We don't want to have, you know, worship that is a great performance. You know, we could have the lights, the lasers, the smoke, best PA, It might look fantastic, but if there's no love, the Lord Jesus knows that's what he looks for. He's looking for the love. And if there isn't that love for him in our hearts, then you know what? He's going to 
snuff out that candle, put that flame out, because he'd rather have a rag-a-tag, you know, rough around the edges, people stumbling along, trying to do, you know, this, that, the other, getting away. He'd rather have that with the hearts that are hard after him for love, pursuing him, because they're people he'll take. They're people that will shine for him. He'll light that candle every time. Keep that going. So, you know, we want to be like that with NLCC as well. You know, we want that love to be there. And I would, you know, that's why I'm standing here right now encouraging you. Love your Lord Jesus. Love him with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And understand how much he loves you. Be overflowing with that love. And you know what? Everything else will be fine. Everything else will sort itself out. That's the most important thing. Good. I'm going to stop. We got. Can I just. Shall I pray for us while the band comes up? Is that right? You got one more? Yeah, good, good. Let's have the band up. And then let's just. Um, let me just lead us in a, in a prayer, really, of. Um, you know, of, of, of devotion, really. So. Um, Lord Jesus, thank you for that commandment. Thank you for that new commandment. Love one another. I thank you. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that the love of God is poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. I just pray, even right now, Lord, that you would just refresh us in that, just renew us in that. Help us to hear the voice of the Spirit. Just affirming and reaffirming to us the love of God in our hearts, that we are loved, that we are secure, that we are held tight, that we don't have to perform. We just have to know you. and Draw us into your love, I pray, Lord. And Jesus, we just, you know, just help us as we are you know, growing and developing and, you know, we feel that sense of your momentum and calling with us, Lord, and, you know, we, we want to do things right and get things right and get it all good. But, Lord Jesus, more than anything else, we want to love you. And I just pray, Lord, that we would be fierce with our love for you, that that flame would burn strongly in everybody's hearts, um, that, Lord, we'd be a fellowship known for our love for you, Lord, that we would have passion and drive, Lord. Um, and just help us in those things. Help us, Lord, to encourage one another to love and good deeds, Lord. I pray, Lord, that we'd be like the church in Thessalonica, Lord, and excel still more in these things. Where we're good in these things, help us to excel still more. Build us, Lord, to be a community where the unloved can can come in and be loved and be just loved into the kingdom of God. Lord, that we can be pursuing people and recognize that you pursue people with loving kindness to repentance, Lord. And I just, we just pray for that, Lord. God, build your church, build this environment here, build this community here that is centered around love, overflowing with love, receiving that love poured out, refreshed into our hearts every time, Lord. 
and just overflowing with it, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Good. Let's stand.